0: You can sign up on my website, zibbyowens.com, under the virtual book club section, or even on Instagram under the link in my bio. I hope you'll find me in all these different channels, and enjoy this podcast. Today's sponsor is BookNix. BookNix is a teacher facilitated interactive subscription box and online book club for middle grade readers. I have two good middle grade readers, and I think this is like a godsend, so I hope you do too. Their titles are selected to widen horizons, teach critical thinking skills, and expose young readers to life lessons in engaging, safe, and accessible ways. Their curated collection aims to avoid the canon of classics that kids would usually encounter as part of their school curriculum. A selection of books for different reading and developmental levels is provided each month, and you should definitely go check it out, especially in this era of distance learning. The code for you guys is ZIBBY20, Z-I-B-B-Y 20, which is all capitals, Z-I-B-B-Y 20, will get you 20% off plus a $5 donation to Dolly Parton's Imagination Library for every new subscription using the discount code at booknix.com. So go to booknix.com, put in the code ZIBBY20, get your middle grade a subscription box, and it'll be fantastic. Thank you, BookNix, for sponsoring. Capricia Penovic Marshall served as White House Social Secretary in the Clinton administration and as United States Chief of Protocol in the Obama administration. In her posts, she advanced the president's agendas using new tools and innovative protocol methods to build relationships between dignitaries and industry leaders worldwide. She oversaw the diplomatic details of state visits and summits such as the G20, the Nuclear Security Summit, APEC, NATO, and the Sunnyland Summit. She's president of Global Engagement Strategies, LLC, which advises global organizations and companies on issues related to the nexus of business and cultural diplomacy. Her clients include Bloomberg, 3M, and other Fortune 100 companies. As a first-generation American, she has brought an understanding of the importance of culture to her posts and consultations. She's an ambassador-in-residence at the Atlantic Council in Washington, D.C., and a partner in Pine Island Capital Partners. Her book is called Protocol, The Power of Diplomacy and How to Make It Work for You. Welcome, Capricia. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Thank you. Thank you so very much for having me. I really appreciate it. I'm so excited to discuss Protocol, which is basically like all the best stories about world leaders in the world tucked into one tiny little container, which is great. It's like you take the reader everywhere that you they would never have access to and give us great lessons. So it was it was a joy to read.
1: <laughs> Thank you very much. And you know that was quite purposeful in the sense that I, I wanted it to absolutely be a how-to. I did not want it to be memoir-esque. I think there are also a lot of people who leave their jobs in Washington, D.C., and they write these tell-all books. And that was not the objective. That was not my intent. My intent really was that I wanted to take the many years that I'd had in government and pull the lessons and the tools that I created over the years, but match them up with you know interesting anecdotes that brings to light those tools and lessons. And I've oftentimes, and I hope you found them very humorous. I did.
0: I did. I did. They were great. Even just something as cool as like, I don't know, Obama just like putting his arm on your shoulder and asking for your advice. I don't know. It's just like the way you talk about it. It's like, sure, yeah, I'm used to Obama just coming over and, you know, asking what I think too. I don't know. It was very sort of relatable. Ah, it's like you could put yourself in your shoes and all of your stories. So that was great. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So for people who don't know about your amazing career, can you give a, a couple highlights about your your tenure in the White House and all of the things that you have been in charge of, just as a background. Sure. Yes.
1: So, okay. I, first of all, I got into government through the political campaign. I had started on the 1992 campaign for President Bill Clinton, for governor then, Bill Clinton. And very smartly decided to work for his wife um, because it didn't seem as though he had much of a chance of becoming president, but she was a top 100 person lawyer in the country and I thought, you know, as someone who had recently graduated from law school, that's someone I really should get to know. And so I started working with her, became incredibly close to her, she became my mentor. And so when he won, she and the president offered me a position in the White House, which I was her special assistant and that meant that I I did everything with her. I started the day with her and I ended the day with her. We traveled around the world together and I was also the bridge for her to the social office. So when the first social secretary had decided that she was going to depart, Hillary turned to me and she asked me if I wanted to take on that post. And I was incredibly honored that she did, of course. And so I, I do have to say that at first, I wasn't quite sure that I was ready to take on the job. You know, many of the women before me had, you know, they were older, they were more experienced, it seemed. And and I just didn't have a lot of confidence in myself. And this is where my mentor and, other women who were part of my, you know, my circle of supporters pushed me up, raised me up. And they said, no, this is time. You are going to take this position on. You are going to step into this job and you're going to be fantastic. Don't worry. We're going to be here for you. We're going to be your safety net. It's not, you're not going to work. We're not going to let you falter. And so I was really, really lucky that they did. You know, I I was very, very blessed to have that. And they did just that. And so for me, it was a dream job. I loved it. it the, the job very quickly, it manages the entire domestic agenda for the president in the sense that we visually put out the agenda to the world. So if it was a social occasion, if it was a, a government, if it was a policy initiative, whatever it was, we were making sure that through events, through interactions, that the world was allowed to experience this. And it was extraordinary, extraordinary on so many levels. And I thought, wow, I really hit the peak of, of government service in that position. But then when President Obama was elected, he then reached out to Hillary Clinton to become his secretary of state. And she said to him, I have your perfect chief of protocol. I am telling you, you have to hire Capricia Marshall. Well, I didn't know him. I didn't know him. I really didn't know a lot of people in the administration. at First, there was a little like, oh wait a minute, I don't know, we don't know this woman. And because the chief of protocol spends a lot of time with the president, a lot of time. I mean, you're hooked at the hip when you travel abroad, and I am the person who welcomes everybody to the United States. So it's a job that is, you know, very, very important in that regard and having that special relationship. Well, he took President uh, Secretary Clinton's advice and, and her recommendation and named me. And it comes with the rank of ambassador so i was then put forth before the senate and was voted in and given the given the position so and it's an extraordinary job it has so many facets to it and like i said it, there's the visits aspect to it but there's a huge ceremonials aspect to it we oversee the president's guest house i also oversaw which an element of this job that i wasn't quite aware of is that i also oversaw the present the the diplomatic corps the foreign diplomatic corps making sure that they got credentialed making sure that they behaved when they're in our country okay. and if they didn't i had to help and then just engaging with them so the job was just phenomenal it was my dream job
0: wow so how do you go through all those experiences and not get too nervous like how do you meet all the world leaders and how do you remember i mean part of your book outlines like just the detailed level of things you have to remember about every country and how a tiny thing wrong i mean obviously there are some bigger mistakes like not that they were your fault but like hanging a flag upside down or having it appear that I way I, now, I know you did and that was amazing but there's like you know every country is so different every leader is so different how do you keep it all like top of mind and present in such a calm, like dignified way, no matter what, like, what if you're having a bad day? Like, how do you tuck that away? How do you do it?
1: Well, what protocol drives you to do is to be ultimately prepared. And it isn't that, that you're able to keep it As you put it all together, you know, I made sure I had to make sure that I did all of the research, my homework, the background checks, because I had to advise the president. I had to advise the secretary of state, the vice president on, you know, cultural nuances, directives in a meeting, all in in, in how to engage in a way that was going to pivot the power in their direction. So there was a lot that went into the before they even thought about stepping into the room. There's so much preparation that went into that. And for me, and I and I believe this wholeheartedly, that when you are prepared, it takes the stress out of the situation. There's a roadmap that's sitting before you you go, okay, I've almost got my personal ways here and I can drive my way through this engagement because I know when to stop, when to turn, what to do next. It's when we go in it, you know, when we're sort of, you know, chucking it to the wind, that we can get lost and chaos happens. It's the uncertainty that can cause the stress, the anxiety, and for things not to go the way that it should. I say fail to plan, plan to fail, and why wing it?
0: But then what do you do in times like this where we can't plan anything?
1: Well, again, that is where I think protocol really comes into play. We are in a fog right now. People are uncertain. People are scared. Frankly, they don't know what to do. They don't know how to behave. They don't know, you know, how to interact again. And they're missing it. They're really missing the human interaction. Well, you know, when you're you set forth your plan, you know, first of all, am I am I abiding by the rules and regulations of my city, town? You know, is it ten? Is it fifty? How many people can come together? And then giving people advanced notice. I'd love to have you over for a cocktail. We're going to be outside in my backyard. There will only be six couples or six people, rather. I will make sure that appetizers are individually plated. I, I went to an ambassador's residence the other day and we sat outside and, You know, he had sort of an open veranda there. And he did. it was so elegant. His wife is amazing. He's the ambassador of Singapore and his wife, Gori, just so elegant. But interesting food from singapore on individual plates served you know with gloved hands it couldn't have felt more safe to my husband and i and we were so appreciative of it in advance they ask you know have you had any interactions that we should know about cuz he has to be he's a diplomat he has to be concerned so you just have that give and take you it's both it's both sides it's the host and the guest being respectful to one another and really informing
0: one another so that you can enjoy each other's company. It's true. Yeah. It's like the more visibility you have into everything, the more peace of mind you can bring with you. So. 100%. I love how in your book you say that. Not only did were you an expert sort of on the world stage, but that like anytime you go to a dinner party, people grab you and take you into the kitchen to ask you for your advice. That's like so classic because I could totally see if I were good friends with somebody who was at your job to be like, okay, what do I do with these place cards here and everything else? <laughs> I never minded it ever, ever. Anytime anybody asked, it's sure. Okay. Let's go. <laughs> what, what's like the most applicable thing that you took away from your whole government experience that you feel like you can use in the day-to-day interactions in your own life or like in your close friends' lives? Like what's like one of the most important tips that you got out of it?
1: You know, it was actually a lesson that I learned from both Presidents Clinton and, and Obama. They are the two most empathetic people that I've ever met in my entire life. They understood that the importance of leadership was not derived from being strong and decisive. Yes, they are that because... They are the president of the United States and leader of the free world, but it's from putting themselves into the position of the person they're speaking with, the person that they're helping, the group that is lost. And by drawing upon empathy in particularly today, where people are feeling confused, uncertain, we we have... This whole new dialogue this these discussions, sometimes hard discussions on race. How can we learn more about one another? What did I think I know? I knew. And but perhaps I didn't quite know. And by engaging in this discussion and learning more about you, boy, I'm going to I'm going to become. A better person. I certainly am going to know more about the topic and figuring out ways to create those bridges of understanding. It's it's really important. So the two of them. That was one lesson that they that they really taught me in abundance.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I guess if I had had a lot to do with presidents, I would try to store away any tips that they uh, <laughs> so I could throw those back out. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. You know, one thing I was struck by in your book was also the importance of environment and how even just how you set up a room for a meeting can have a massive effect on the outcome and how people approach it and go into it. Can you talk a little more about that? And even like high and low ceilings and the positioning of the tables. (laughs) Tell me about that.
1: Well, that's the superpower protocol. The superpower protocol are these micro moves that have a major impact. Story to illustrate it. I tell this that, you know, when i traveled with the president to mexico for the g20 he was going to meet with president putin and this was their first meeting when putin regained the presidency and there was so much drama involved in this and everything was so tense i went to the nsc to sort of get the the brief agenda of of the meeting like i usually did so i could Figure out what exactly do we need to do here. How does protocol create this framework for diplomacy to take place? So then I'm, I'm meeting with him, and I'm meeting. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm waiting to greet him, and he's running late, and that's frustrating and really kind of sets you off. Uh, and <laughs> finally arrives, and that was that was that was a mental mind game on his part. That was a deliberate move on President Putin's. I am sure. Greeted him, hello, hello, and then escorted him and made our way to the room. Well, upon greeting, I, I do the introductions, you know, to, to the president, and we had heard that he was hopeful that Secretary Clinton was not going to be in the meeting because. He, the two of them had a bit of back and forth going on about the recent election. And so President Obama, he's so funny this way, he's big, tall, is greeting him. So he sort of steps aside, he goes, oh, hello, have you met my secretary of state? And unveils Secretary Clinton. Well, just in that moment again, again, the mindset of diplomacy, you know, you could tell there was a hint of oh, surprise by President Putin, that there she stood and didn't think that maybe she was going to be there. And so that that sets a mood, that sets a tone. Well then, you know, we escort them into the room. We design, Protocol designs the room, and you know, from the table to the decor on the table to the lighting in the room, and to, as you put it, the size of the room. And we wanted the size to be small. We wanted President Putin to feel forced into this discussion. We wanted him to feel like his back was almost literally against the wall and because they, they, they needed to come together. They needed to, to lessen the gap in their differences on some of these hardcore issues. And, you know, we learned after that we had rigged the room well, because they did actually come together on many of these issues. And so we felt like protocol won the day that day.
0: (laughs) And then you also point out when it totally failed, like with the meeting with the Chinese. I think that's who it was afterwards, how that meeting was set up improperly. Am I getting that right? Again, it was with President Putin. Oh, it was. It was. Okay, I'm sorry. It was in another location. And it was just in
1: a tent that was big and vast. And the way that the two presidents were seated next to one another, they clearly were it was awkward the way that they had to turn the the space allowed for there to feel as though there was no connectivity between them. The interpretation was on all of the elements just did not work. And again, the readout afterwards was they were far apart in any of the issues of importance that, you know, United States and Russia need to come together on. We don't have to always agree with our counterparts and we certainly aren't going to always agree with our counterparts, but that's what diplomacy is about. It's about creating those relationships. It's about getting, discussing those hardcore issues and figuring out a way that we can come closer together, have a better understanding.
0: So if you were going to design, let's say you have to have a difficult conversation with somebody in your own life, not to keep, you know, taking your Amazing advice on the global scale and taking it down to my tiny little life. But let's just say <laughs> you were going to plan like a meeting that where you had to negotiate something, for instance, with somebody and you might not have the same points of view. How would you design like that environment from the protocol standpoint? Like what, what can you do to make the environment more like your Mexican event versus the other one?
1: Well, first of all, you know, bring people to a place that matters to you. Whatever, if if the discussion is about, you know, you're, you're meeting with a new client, bring them to a room in your office or your home that showcases a bit about that that business and, and what you've done. Maybe it's a founding document or an award that you've just won. You know, make sure that those are displayed and you're there and that they know that you're, I want to bring you you know, I'm going to bring you to my office where I don't bring many people, but I really want, and they know they're going somewhere special. And then in that room itself, make sure that you've zhuzhed it up, (laughs) you know, have a, have the seating so that when they're, you're discussing, it's a, it's, it's a one-on-one, you're looking at one another, it feels comfortable. And perhaps having, I'm a big believer in having a little nosh to make sure that, food as an element in things that it's very welcoming. It's very inviting, you know, no matter how we are engaging. It, it could can, it can be with a friend on a personal matter. It can, like I said, be with someone of importance to our business. And, you know, they feel very welcome. They feel very respected by those gestures. Those small details, again, really begin to add up. So true.
0: So tell me about what made you write this book? I know in the book, you talk about how everybody was always asking your advice and telling you to write one. So you were finally like, okay, fine. <laughs> but how did it happen exactly? And then what was the process like for you writing it? So I, on my last day, I have
1: to say, I sobbed so hard on poor President Obama's shoulder. I think I saturated it. It was, just, it was just the saddest day. I did not want to go. I love, 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 love my job. And he kept trying to convince me to stay. It was very, very sweet. But I knew as a mother that there was a 13-year-old boy who really needed his mom a little more involved in his life. So I did leave, but when I left, I did join the private sector and I started to engage a bit with clients. I I joined the Atlantic Council, a think tank here in Washington, DC. And, and I noticed that, you know, people were having a really hard time developing those relationships that matter in their business that mattered in their lives, you know, finding those threads of connectivity. They just it wasn't easy, didn't come about for them easy. And so I was like, wow, you know, this is what I did, you know, for presidents and secretaries of state. And, and so I, I thought I'd have to put these lessons and tools down with interesting anecdotes so that I can I can help people in doing that and sharing it with with individuals. wanted to really talk about why is it important to invest in that relationship? How can you respectfully invest in that relationship so that you then can build those bonds of trust? And from bonds of trust then, your goals are going to come. Those those desires that you have in that relationship will be an eventual end game for you.
0: And so how did you go about writing this book? Did you outline the whole thing? Did you sit, like, how, what was the process of the structuring and then the actual sitting down and writing it? Well... I'd
1: like to say it was a first go, and that's that was it. but it wasn't. I have a great editor echo. I also had a wonderful collaborator and it was interesting in the first sense the way that I thought the book should be structured. My editor I remember we had, I submitted the, the, the entire outline, sent it to her was so proud, so excited and she caught me, I, I was so proud that I went off on a trip to, to Spain and she calls me on my trip to Spain she's like, oh we need to talk <laughs> and she's like I'm not understanding where these I know you understand it Capricia but this is complicated stuff you're talking about and I need for you to explain it to us in a way that is going to be a lot more relatable. And I realized that suddenly that I was not, I wasn't communicating, I was communicating like protocol officer to protocol officer and not to the to the world at large. And so redesign of it and then thought through these are the tools that I used for the physical way in which you can engage with people here are some communications tools that i used and then here are those mindset tools that i implemented and i and i used and so then i divided the book up that way and and put all of those in order and then i realized actually At the end, when I finished, that there was one more chapter I I really felt was important to include, and it was Negotiating While Female, and I felt that was important to include, and I had to fight for it with my editor. She says, oh, this is an outlier. I'm not sure that this works. I go, no, I promise you it will work, because all of these tools and lessons work for everybody, men and women, but they they, they do apply slightly differently for women. And, and there are some nuances that women must know so that they can gain that advantage so that they're, they, 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 know, you know, we are in a constant state of negotiation as women always in everything that we do. So how can I game out here? How can I get the advantage here? And I, I really wanted to devote that chapter to, to
0: help women in that regard. Would you write another book now that you've done it? Like, did you enjoy the process? I did. I did. You know, actually my editor reached out to me and she's asking
1: for me to do a follow-up in today's environment. So yeah. <laughs> yes, I'm going to be starting while I'm still promoting this one. I'm going to start drafting out a new one.
0: That's great. Yeah. I, when I was reading this, you had a lot of things that I was like, Ooh, well, what would she say now? Cause you're, you know, physical contact or shaking hands or all these things that I was like, Wow, wouldn't that be nice? you know if <laughs> we can still do that, but that's that's great. Excellent.. True. would you have do you have any advice to aspiring authors? Golly, you know, if you have an, an idea, go
1: for it. Go for it. What's most important, I learned is that draft that you put forth and that you send around to publishing because everyone thinks you've got to write the book and then send the book out. What's really important is doing the synopsis of what this book is about, being as clear and as defined as you possibly can be in that synopsis so that when those publishers call and say, hey, I'd like to talk to you about your book, it it grabs their attention and then you can do a deeper dive in the personal and then you can expand it out when you start to write the book. But that's really, really important.
0: And I loved the personal stuff that you included. Like, it was so interesting to hear about your family and your parents and how they met. I mean, like the whole melding of different cultures and going back to where your father grew up. I mean, it was really neat. It's it's great to have that kind of context when you're hearing anybody's sort of professional life to have the personal as such a nice sort of antidote to that. So
1: Thank you so very much. I'm so glad to hear you say that because it, it was In my core, it was the home that I grew up in truly helped me appreciate the difference of culture and the difference of people around the world and wanting to then, when I had the great opportunity on the global stage, to shine a big old spotlight on those beautiful differences.
0: So I guess that's the trick. If you want to raise a chief protocol officer, find somebody to marry from a different culture, and then your child will have better luck at it. <laughs> exactly. we <can> home. <laughs> anyway. Well, thank you so much for all of your time and thanks for your great book and all the tips that you gave for lay people like me and everyone else. So thank you.
1: My absolute pleasure. Thank you so very much for having
0: me. My pleasure. Okay. Have a great day. Thanks. Okay. You, take care. I'll be thinking of you. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks again to today's sponsor, Book Next. Go to booknext.com. Zippy 20 is the code to get 20% off of your middle grade subscription box. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books.